Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Into crunch time for South Australia tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Makes it home. 30 seconds of play. First goal of the game off the boot of Rory Lobb. No mark. Kello. Everyone went the bump. I forgot about the ball. Bruce didn't. Robed it. Snapped it. Superstar. Still is. He Fife got it. That's a confidence booster. Arms up above his head. This will be the loudest roar you'll hear at this stadium for a long time if you can split the middle. Misses. It hit the post, the five kick. There's the kick by Luke Ryan. Top of the square. Almost be a free kick. He's going to get another go. This time he suckers in from a metre out. Ball pass. Brayshaw. Five metres out. Set it off the ground. He's set it off the ground. And Brayshaw's kicked the best goal of his career. And it could be a game winner right there. It was billed as the Nat Fife return party, but Andrew Brayshaw stole the headlines as the Dockers saw off a brave Hawthorne at Optus Stadium to continue to press their claims for Premiership contention. But what of Hawthorne? Another honourable loss, yes, but just how much longer can they get away with that? Crouch couldn't get full boot to ball. Danaher can. Quick step, quick kick. Long time goal coming. 20 out directly in front. Bread and butter stuff for Big Max. And the Saints have kicked the first two on the road. Two straight. Neil board. McCluggage in a little bit of space to operate. Kick going all the way to the line. McCarthy shepherds it over. Lions will go inside forward 50. Danaher flew. He got a nice ride, Big Joe. That one splits the middle. No problems. It's a nice mark and goal combination from Joe Danaher. McCluggage gets involved again. Look at the finish from Hugh McCluggage. will go across the face. It'll fall short right towards the goal square. Rainer could have marked it. Joe Danaher in the goal square has kicked the goal for Brisbane. They won't write songs about this and they may not talk much longer about it, but Brisbane needed to get a win. They've lost two out of their last three and they come up with a 20-point win and get back into the top two at the Gabba. If it walks like a final, it talks like a final, it feels like a final, but it's in the middle of June. What exactly is it for the Brisbane Lions? Three goals for the returning Joe Danaher. Hugh McCluggage was sensational in the midfield, but 10 goals, 18 at home in another key matchup. We've seen this before. Is there reason to be a little concerned for the Lions? What are the Saints? What do we take away from that performance? It's all ahead of us over the next two hours as we get set for Sunday football. Welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. I hope you're enjoying your Sunday on this long weekend, wherever you may be. Julia Marcus in the chair for Sunday Crunch Time. Great to have your company 
on a cold Sunday in Melbourne town. It's cold pretty much everywhere these days, isn't it? Josh Jenkins is here to chat some footy with us over the next couple of hours. Morning, Josh. Good morning, Julian. First time uh, teaming up, so hopefully... Uh Hopefully our uh, first time uh, together is a successful one. Looking forward to this. What did you take out of last night's football? Because you look at the slate, two games, we thought, okay, one looks pretty good. We knew the Lions and the Saints was always going to be one with massive ramifications. But, geez, I was really taken aback by Freeman and the Hawthorne. Wasn't that a sensational watch? It, it was. It was, a, it was a really – it sort of thought the whole way through the game, I thought, I'm pretty confident Fremantle will win the game, but the longer and longer the game went, you thought, well, hang on. Am I, um, am I just sort of, you know, tr- am I trusting uh, what the ladder's telling me or am I watching this game properly? And in the end, I mean, Fremantle did the job. You know, they, they, they get away with a, a two-goal win. Uh, they get Nathan Fife back and, and, and they bank the four points. So fantastic result for them. But Hawthorne are an interesting case study. They... they They've put together some really, really good football this year. They've done so uh, mostly in losses. They've won a few games that have certainly surprised us, but for the most part, they 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 do play, you know, good footy without winning. And I guess that's that balance of um, is there a lack of of top end, you know, match threatening talent in that squad to be able to get those, you know, turn those games where. They're playing well. They've got great energy. They're playing with great effort. But do they have enough players who can say, well, we're going to turn this effort into match-winning performances? I guess that's probably the query for the Hawks. It's the old honourable losses motif. Just how much is a piece of string that they can continue to do that before Hawks fans start to turn around and go, you know what, we want to start to see some performances. But, I mean, on the whole... Hawthorne, what I noticed yesterday was the pressure that they brought to Fremantle around the ball, and they did not let up. But like I said, is that sustainable to be able to take that next step, I guess? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think honourable losses are to, you know, we we love to use the term honourable loss, but what does it actually mean? I think it means an inferior team plays with great energy, great spirit, great desire, they play the game the right way, but ultimately they don't have the manpower or the personnel to get the job done. And I think we see that, you know, we've started to see that. We can probably make that case about Essendon on on Friday night as well. But ultimately, you just don't have the cattle to get the job done. So you can have as much effort and intensity and desire as you want. But if the other team with more uh, talent and more match winners on their squad can, can, can play at the same level as you, you don't have a chance to win the game because you just don't have the threats. As far as the Brisbane Lions are concerned, they got the win at home. But I don't know about you, but I felt shades of the semifinals over the last couple of years. Brisbane at the Gabba just starting to wilter a bit under the heat. 10 goals, 18. Yes, they got it done, but it seems a little bit of that starting to creep back into them again. And I know it's June. They've got plenty of time to figure that out. But, I mean, you go back 2019, 2020, 2021, all ended the same way with Brisbane faltering at the Gabba. And I know it's mid-June, but there were some of the same characteristics that we saw last night. There were. And it's worried me... Uh, for quite a long time when assessing Brisbane as an absolute contender. And look, their best football is exciting. I love the way they go about it. I love the fact that it seems as though they're as dedicated to, to scoring the ball and their attack as they are 
to defending. And uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, is that the reason they won't win? Well, hopefully it's potentially the reason they will win because they do have so many threats ahead of the footy. And you know, I look at them, I think I can probably mount the case that they've got seven players in their 22 who are capable of kicking four or more goals in a game. And when you've got that co- type of threat, it's hard to counteract. But they just, they, they, they in big games, and it didn't cost them last night, so you know, we're probably jumping at shadows a little bit, but they have had a tendency to be really inaccurate in big games. And last night was, was a big game in terms of, you know, a, a a team who was considering themselves a fellow contender, wanting to come to town and, and knock them off. And the Saints started well. They kicked the first two goals of the game. But um, at Brisbane, they, they they gained the ascendancy in the last quarter. It was a three-point ball game at three-quarter time. You thought, well, can the Saints jump up and win this? And Brisbane completely dominated, except they kicked three goals eight in the last quarter. And at one stage, they'd kicked one goal six. And you thought, well... These are the situations which we've seen in the past where they've kicked themselves out of big games. They've had the, remember a final, uh, the I think it was 2020, the year everyone was based up in Brisbane, where they played Richmond at home in a final and they had them, not dead to rights, but they had them by the throat in the second quarter, but they just couldn't kick straight. And if you can't have that composure and play with that composure and steady yourself in front of goal, you, you, you allow good teams to, to remain in the game. And that's what happened on that night. And it almost happened again last night. Yeah, just going back to that uh, quarter, they kicked two goals, three in a shortened quarter at that point in time, and that really did let it get away against Geelong in that preliminary final. They should have led at halftime, but they trailed, and ultimately Geelong kicked away. But let's have a look at the Saturday wrap, the results from yesterday. Just two games on the slate. Fremantle over Hawthorne, 14-11-95 to 12-10-82. Fremantle with Schultz, Walters, Banfield, and Collier kicking two goals each. And another performance, it's a saver, really, yesterday from Andrew Brayshaw. He came here to Melbourne all that long ago and finally knocked off his brother Angus. And, I mean, it's just ticking all the right boxes for Fremantle this season. And I thought Caleb Sarong was quite instrumental as well when we saw him pop up at different points yesterday in Brisbane. Over St Kilda, 10-18-78-8-9-57. Joe Danaher and his return kick three goals for the winners, Gresham and King with two for the vanquished. We'll get into the Brisbane St Kilda matchup a little bit later on this hour, but I want to talk to you in particular about this Freo and Hawthorne game because I don't know about you, but when I sat down to watch it yesterday, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll get through this. It'll probably be about a six or seven goal win. Then we get the, the main event later on. Then it started to rain a little bit, and I thought, uh-oh, Fremantle, rain, mm. arch enemies. But yes. <laughs> then it stopped, but... What the arch enemy for Fremantle was yesterday was Hawthorne's pressure. And it just kept going and going and going. And the longer that the game went, you thought, you know what? This could actually happen here. Yeah, that's right. And, and you've got to admire the, 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 you know, the tenacity and the spirit that Hawthorne played with. But I think Fremantle have got so many, uh, so many nippy and, and, and skillful and dangerous players that, look, to be honest... Us as uh, so-called football pundits, we need to spend more time um, analysing them and, and, and working out why they're such a good team. I'm talking about, you know, Sarong's a, a quality young player. They've got so many guys ahead of the ball. Brody's added so much around the footy. They've got so many young guys who are, who are talented and, and, and they play the game in the right manner. And I'm talking about Schiltz is another one. Banfield bobs up and kicks goals. They've got another 
a batch of three or four guys who can bob up on their day and kick goals. They, you know, they've got Tabiner and they've played Logue ahead of the footy, which has been you know, surprising because he's been such a mainstay for them down back and that has been their, their hallmark of their game. But yeah, they're, they're a quality side. They just keep chalking up the wins and well, they didn't play their best footy yesterday, but you'd rather learn the lesson, particularly when you're, you're searching for a top four spot. You'd prefer to learn the lesson with a win and backing the four points than you know, having to learn the harsh lesson of, of, of underperforming and losing a game that you should win. Fremantle have ticked all the boxes this year that you could ask for from a contender, especially a contender coming out of WA. They've won in Geelong, tick. Yep. They've won at the MCG against the Demons, ending their streak, tick. They are undefeated in Victoria, tick. They've knocked off Team 1 and Team 2 in consecutive weeks, tick. I honestly don't know what else they could possibly do at this point in order to get into that conversation further, but it still feels like they're a little bit, but maybe on this side of the country, but it still feels like they're a little bit under the radar. Is that how you're seeing it at this point in time? I think so. It's it's probably that lack of household names, and again, that's as much our problem as it is theirs because we just we don't get a we don't get a good look at them. We don't see them a lot in prime time, and and, and they just probably go about their business really methodically. They've got an understated coach in Justin Longmuir. They play an understated game style because they're so well drilled defensively. They've got the capability of kicking scores. You know, they put up 95 yesterday. They kick 95 most weeks. They're going to win games of footy, but it's hard to score against them. And you're spot on at 10-3. and three, You start to look at the ladder and think, well, they're fairly well entrenched in the top four. I know Geelong and St Kilda have only played the 12 games, so Fremantle have played that extra game. But, they're, you know, they're two games ahead of those teams inside the top four. So, you know, you start to worry, well, they're going to make the eight. They've, they've basically won enough games to get in. They'd have to trip over themselves not to get in. So you start to think, well, you know, they're a fair way ahead of teams five, six, and seven in terms of getting themselves in the top eight. And it's been really hard to uh, uh, beat teams, or beat them over in Perth as well. So, you know, they're going to have five or six games to go in Perth. So all of a sudden, you start to think, well, it's going to be, it's going to take some serious dip in form for them to even miss the top four, let alone the top eight. Forget about that. That's basically a, a fait accompli. So they are they are up and going. They've got Carlton again after the bye, which that is a tantalising game on a Saturday afternoon at Marvel, but they've already beaten them this mm. season. So they've beaten their fellow top four compatriots. And just looking down the rest of the list, they've got round 17, St Kilda on a Saturday night at Marvel's another big test, Sydney, They've got Richmond here in Melbourne still to come, and then the D's over in Perth in round 20. So there's still some key tests to come. Yes, but yep. At this stage, like you said, they've got those wins banked up. It's hard to see them missing. But at this point, it's really got to be a top four conversation for Fremantle. And look, this has been a conversation that's been happening out west for weeks. I think it's just taken us a while to catch up. But you look at the performances, particularly in the last month, and, geez, it's... Where is their weakness at the moment, aside from the wet weather? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, they regain Fife, and you go through their side, and you know, whenever, whenever a team relies heavily, heavily on their on their defensive structure, and not necessarily being able to score the ball, you think, well, are they vulnerable on a day where you know they might get picked apart, or or the ball might bounce the wrong way a couple of times from a defensive point of view? 
if another team can kick four early girls goals and that puts the pressure on them and they change their defensive structure, is that the way that they're vulnerable? I mean, their forward line is not necessarily it's probably not it's probably not laden with any household names. But Tabin is a better player than than we think he is in Melbourne. He's he's been a slow burn, but his past three or four years have been outstanding. You know, Sarong and, and, and Schultz and Banfield at his feet are really, really good players as well. So you know, I think Fife's going to spend time ahead of the footy as a, as a standout or standalone full forward as well, and that's going to scare a lot of teams. So they've got enough ahead of the footy, but if you had to identify one area, it probably would be their forward line, but by no means is it a, a complete weakness. And something else that I think we need to start really taking seriously is Andrew Brayshaw. Round the oh, middle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We oh, really yeah. need to start taking that seriously. Yesterday, 37 disposals, seven tackles, huge goal late in the game. And yep. just looking at the coach's award, it's, of course, it is just a guide, a general guide as to how it might come up on Brownlow night. But it was five votes behind going into that game, five votes behind Clayton Oliver. He's certain to get the 10 votes out of yesterday's game. But I think we really need to take that seriously now. Andrew Brayshaw is not a smoky for the Brownlow, but he's got to be up there amongst the favourites now. Well, I mean, he's he's in a side that's 10 and 3, right? So when you when you win, generally, now you could easily crunch the numbers on this or there'd be a statistic around, but when you win, your team generally gets the three votes. And 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 he's more often than not, and, and I mean more often than not, being their best player. And he's, he, he catches the eye because he does go about his business uh, in, a, in a fairly simplistic manner in terms of he's not, he doesn't run out of stoppage or he doesn't kick freakish goals necessarily that are going to catch the eye. But what he does, he's a really hard worker around the ground. He, he generates a lot of uncontested footy because he's such a hard worker. 32 uncontested possessions yesterday. You would imagine the umpire seeing him Clearly, I mean, in a, in, a, in a pack, it's easy for them to miss a quick handball or, a, you know, a quick first possession. But when he's got the ball 32 times around the ground, it's, it's near on impossible for the umpires to miss it. So, you know, outstanding yesterday. Had to be a three-vote game, 37 disposals. He also had, talk about the, the hard work getting around the ground. He had the second most pressure points for Fremantle as well. So when Fremantle have got the ball, he's working his tail off to get create space and find opportunities to get the footy and send it forward. But when Hawthorne had the ball, he was more than happy to put pressure on and apply pressure and, and lay tackles. So he's playing the, he's playing complete footy. Six tackles yesterday, kicked that in, that, that crucial goal and had nine score involvement. So it's um, be hard-pressed to find a, a more consistent and all-around midfielder than, than Andrew Brasher at the moment. Hawthorne, they're in 13th place. They pushed Collingwood all the way to the wire last week. They're 4-9 and nine now. They really seem to just take Fremantle a bit by surprise with the pressure they had around the ball. Yesterday, they led into halftime, although Fremantle's MO is to trail at halftime than overrun teams, and they've done that to great success. But at what point does it start? And I know this is year one of Sam Mitchell's tenure, so this may be going very, very early here. But at what point, as a Hawthorne fan... Do you start to cross that threshold from I'm enjoying watching my team be competitive, this young group, and what could be exciting about the future to frustration at falling short over the line? And yep. even Justin Longmuir said it yesterday that he said, quote, the better team may not have necessarily been us yesterday in the in the press conference. And I found mm. that telling. Yes. Yeah, well, it is. You're right. And 
uh, I think if we had our uh, regular host in the chair, Nat Edwards, who's an avid Hawthorne fan, she would be she would be frustrated but proud. I mean, you can be both things, and the only thing, as uh, and talking to your point, is there will come a time when you'll only be frustrated. You'll say, "Look, yeah, we had a go, but having a go is a minimum at, at, at this level. Everyone has a go in the AFL, so it, it's just how." You know, I looked through the 22 that played yesterday and um, I just, it's hard to see them. You know, there's not a lot of guys who, who strike fear into you. If you're doing the opposition analysis before a game, you're sitting down to, to look at the squad and think, who's going to strike fear into me? It's, there, are, there are not a lot of guys who, who do that. You know, Mitch Lewis has been excellent this season. Um, of course, um, aside from him, you know, Kaczynski as a forward is, is still developing. Will Day is a good player, but he's not going to take a game away from you. So it's it's interesting. They're going to need to find um, you know, some top-end talent, whether that's in the draft, whether they can um, acquire someone from a, the free agency point of view, whether they can pull someone away in a trade, I'm not sure. But they do need to acquire some top-end talent because at the moment, they're, they're similar to an Adelaide Crows. They're reliant on playing harder than the opposition. And that's a tough way to go about your business because if you're relying on the opposition to not bring their best, it doesn't happen a lot. And even if, in Justin Longmuir's words, even if Hawthorne did bring more effort and more intensity than Fremantle, it meant nothing in the end because they didn't beat them. Well, Sam Mitchell spoke yesterday in the press conference after the game about, he talked to how this is a young side still on that learning journey is a little what he had to say. Um, certainly, we're very, we're still very young. There's a lot of, a lot of young players playing in that group, and you know, little things. I was talking to Jacob Kaczynski after the game about, you know, when to go fast and when to go slow, and he said, well, when I get the ball, I just look up and it all looks the same. And so it was a really, it was a really good insight into what a young, what the game looks like for a player that's played 25 games. Um, when he's played 55 games or 65 games, then he'll know those things. And it's a lot of our players are quite young and still develop. And we'll we'll have some improvement and be able to put some sides away in a, in a manner that we can't at the moment. Um, but we know we're a work in progress, and um, there's some frustration in that, um, and some urgency to try and be better today. Uh, but we're on. We know the journey that we're on, and we're we're building in the right direction. Yeah, certainly, the last couple of weeks, plenty of hope for Hawthorne fans as they make their way up in this new journey for this young group, new coach. Plenty to like out of yesterday, but Fremantle getting the prize. We'll continue this conversation on Sunday Crunch Time in just a moment. This is for South Australia. Rewards Wonder. Visit southaustralia.com. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. It's Sunday Crunch Time on this long weekend. Julian Marcus, Josh Jenkins with you. It's for Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Answer the camel's call, Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. And we'll be taking calls all weekend on the Kogan open line. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile from $2.90 for 30 days with a big 20 gig of data. The other game last night, Josh, the Brisbane Lions St Kilda, it felt for all intents and purposes like a finals match in June. But 
ultimately, the Brisbane Lions, they did get the win, 21-point winners, 10-18-78 to 8-9-57. But as we spoke off the top, there were a couple of things that just crept back into Brisbane that we've seen in big games, particularly at the Gabba over the last few years, and most notably, 10 goals, 18. What did you take Mm. out of that from Brisbane's point of view? Yeah, I mean, they, they've improved in that area. And I'm, I guess the goal kicking is, is one really, really easy, tangible aspect of, of, of what they've needed to do to mature as a side. And I have seen that this year. But the other element of, of, of being a, a more improved side, and we're talking about small gains here because they've been a top four side for the past three or four years. But, you know, making the game easier for your teammates. So instead of having a shot for goal from 55 metres, finding that free target. You know, Danaher, instead of blasting it, hit Charlie Cameron, hit McCarthy. Bringing each other into the game, I think, you know, over the course of the past couple of years, you know, you can probably visualise or remember back to, to moments where, you know, Cam Rayner might have had a blasting shot for goal or Hipwood might have had a shot when there was someone in a better position. But I've seen them really evolve in that space this year where they've, they have brought each other into the game because you know, this was something that we really tried to focus on when things were going well in Adelaide is, you know, if I kick a goal, um, I feel great. But if I kick it to my teammate, Taylor Walker or Eddie Betts, and he kicks a goal, we both feel great. So we're both in the game. And that is sometimes a little underestimated and, and under, understated that, you know, you want, of course you want to score and you want to make the right play, but sometimes being able to bring teammates into the game is, is so crucial because particularly those guys who play ahead of the footy because you, be, you do become a victim of circumstance. And if the ball's not coming down there, you can often start to think, geez, I'm having a poor night. But the reality is you're not getting the opportunity. So when there is an opportunity for Cameron to bring Danaher into the game or McCarthy to bring McStay into the game, you should do that. They haven't typically been as good at that in the past as you would like, but especially this year I've seen a really big lift in that area of the game. So I'm a big buyer of Brisbane. Last night was a little bit of a hiccup, a little bit of a throwback to some of the issues of the past, but they still get away with a 21-point win. They completely dominated the last quarter, and they were playing against a a fellow team who was um, aspiring to to make the top four at the end of the year, or at least the top eight. So I think we can we can we can probably dress it down a little bit, but the reality was it was a it was a comprehensive or it should have been a really comprehensive win over a good side. If we are to take the finals like motif out of this from a St Kilda point of view, to go up to Brisbane against a tight side running second at the moment on the table, uh, second equaled first, but of course percentage yep. has Melbourne in front. But what will they get out of last night? Well, they 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 can be. They're a little bit Hawthorne-ish at the top end. Sure, we went to a, a really hostile environment, a hard place to play, you know, slippery, humid conditions, really unfamiliar versus what we are typically faced with when we play our home games at Marvel Stadium. But they can be pleased that, look, for three quarters, our brand stood up against what we know is one of the best sides in the competition. Three points down at three-quarter time in the game. But when Brisbane took things to another level around the ball, St Kilda couldn't quite go with them. So you, know, you go through all the numbers in terms of the individuals. The, the, the usual guys did their thing. You know, Sinclair has his 30 and Seb Ross has his 30. Crouch is excellent with 26 and 10 tackles. Kicked a goal. Gresham was good. 
Membry was busy as a forward. King kicked a few. Higgins had shots on goal. So they did enough to, to, to go home and, and make the stat sheet look good. But ultimately, when the game was there to be won at three-quarter time, Brisbane showed that they've got another gear. And that's not all about home field advantage, but certainly it helps. But it just probably shows right now, right here, right now, Brisbane have got the ability to go from fifth gear to sixth. Maybe St Kilda have only got the five gears just at the moment. But they are building and they should have, or there is a lot to be happy about if you're a Saints fan. Every time I looked at the game, I saw Brad Crouch around the ball. Ten tackles he laid as well as 26 touches and a goal. He was really, really impressive last night from St Kilda. So well worth a shout out for him. But Joe Danaher returning to the Lions lineup last night. He kicked three goals. There was always going to be a lot of spotlight around him and his return. And he certainly did light it up last night at the Gabba. And he had Chris Fagan, his coach, pretty happy after the game. Yeah, three goals, pretty good. Uh, I, that would have exceeded my expectations. Um, I was getting a bit worried when he was spraying them everywhere um, early. <laughs> uh, but, he, but he kicked some important goals for us. And uh, he'll, he'll make us a better team. And he'll make Eric and, and DMAC uh, more dangerous forwards as well, the fact that he's up there. He is a lightning rod, Joe Danaher, and he always has been, really. He's gotten a lot of attention. Obviously, you know, key forward like that you're going to, but he does seem like more of a lightning rod than most. But what do you think he needs to do as far as to really serve the Lions best going into the back half of the season? Does he need to be the guy to keep big bags, or does he need to be the guy to have that presence up front in order to run misdirection? Um, that's a really good question because I love their, I love the versatility and the... And the and the mobility that 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 Lions forwards have, they're all different. Hipwood likes to get on the charge. Danaher's the one who can jump up into a pack. McStay's a, a, a floater who can do a little bit of everything. So they don't necessarily need to have a main guy. Charlie Cameron at times likes to play as the deepest forward, and he's you know, five foot eleven. McCarthy the same. So they've got so much versatility in that forward mix that. It doesn't need to be Joe or Bus, but I think Joe needs to be their best forward. If you're going to rank their forwards from one to six, you'd probably want to be able to say that Danaher is is doing the most and he's the most potent and he's the most likely. Now, that doesn't need to translate into four or five goals every week, but I think he needs to be able to create his shots on goal for himself and for others. So he's, you, know, you say lightning rod. I think he gets a, a rough... A rough run of it from from some, and particular, you know, there's obvious, there's going to be the obvious sort of disdain from Essendon fans, but he's a. I would have him in my side any day of the week. He's an outstanding player who likes to play the game on his terms. And when I say that, I don't mean he doesn't want to do certain things. He want, he likes to play with joy and flair and and pizzazz. And you know, we've seen him take big grabs at the top of the goal square and then handball the the ball off at the end of a quarter. So he's going to make those sort of those, um, he's going to make those areas where you're going to scratch your head, but that's the way he plays. And that's the way Brisbane play a little bit. And I think you've got to take the good with the bad because there's so much more good with Joe Danaher and the Lions than there is bad. Do you think there's still a case of a, a lot of people in the general populace, and I include ourselves in this and everyone else as well, that we look at Joe Danaher still too much from the prism of who he was at Essendon versus who he is now at Brisbane? Yeah, perhaps. And, and I, I'm happy to mount the argument that he's a better player now than he was at, at Essendon. And the, the numbers won't back me up, but I'm talking about 
when he played at Essendon, he was largely the sole focus of their forward line. He would he would get the ball within 70 metres from goal and he'd be having a shot every time. He'd be looking to wheel on that left and just thump it as long as he could. And how many times can you remember him you know, trying to have a shot from 65 and it lands one metre out. You know, the old the old worst kick in footy where it just gets punched through for a point. And he's one that's evolved in that space more than more than most about bringing others into the game. You know, perhaps playing a bit of a decoy role when McStay's got it going or Charlie Cameron's got it going, going up the ground. He's been one who I've really enjoyed his work uh, pre-injury or pre the break that he's just had. Getting 15 and 16 and 17 disposals, maybe only kicking one or two. But being a primary focus or, or a conduit, being able to get a, an outlet mark from defensive 50 when he when he's focused and locked in with his field kicking, he's a really potent kick. So being able to set up scores rather than be the one who wants to do the scoring at the end of the day. Were you surprised that Darcy Fort was named as the sub last night? Yeah, that was a really strange move. I was really disappointed when I saw him uh, listed as an omission. I played a lot of footy with Darcy last year at Geelong in the VFL and He's had a really good run of it, with Hipwood missing almost all of the first half of the season. There was always a spot there for for Darcy, and he he played well enough last year for Geelong to deserve some opportunities, but it just wasn't forthcoming. So to see him play a consistent run of AFL footy has been excellent, but Brisbane have got that really tried and, and, and trusted system where they play two rucks, but I think they identified that with Danaher returning, McStay down there, Hipwood down there, Rainer down there, who's a marking type, perhaps they just were not going to be able to put enough pressure on. So they, they decided to go with Fort. Look, if McInerney gets worn down by the two St Kilda Ruck and we happen to get an injury at the right time of the game, then we can bring Darcy Ford in. But it does have the potential, don't you think, to backfire if if the big forwards aren't getting it done and it is a slippery night up there in Brisbane and, you know, say St Kilda's runners are getting it done and starting to look dangerous, it does have the potential to look a little top-heavy because they'd have, at times, now you can't just rotate guys on and off the ground, off the bench, because, this, you know, you need to rotate others. So it had the potential, at times, if they got an injury early, to have Fort, Danaher, McStay, Rayner and Hipwood all inside that forward 50. Now, I think that looks a little top-heavy, but last night they got away with it. Well, this was Chris Fagan's explanation as to why Darcy Fort started as the sub. Wanted to do something, mate, give you blokes something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Tallest sub ever. Um, no, this, no, I, I thought our biggest risk tonight, with Oscar being the only ruckman and them having Ryder and, and Marshall, was if something happened to O. That could lose us the game, fundamentally. So um, we sort of made that call this morning, to tell you the truth, because I went out for my usual walk and I've been awake all night thinking about it. I thought, why don't we just make Darcy Fort the medicine, just in case? And he could help a lot of things. If you lost the tall back, Daniel McStay could go back and and, um, uh, Fort would come on into the forward line. If you lost your ruckman, he could replace the ruckman. And he could also go forward if we lost a forward. So for me, there were a lot of reasons to, to give him a go. And I thought we could cover everything else that could, could happen in a game um, with the players that we had. So uh, that was the logic. And we do appreciate Chris Fagan's commitment to content here in the fourth estate. Mm. What was your take on what you just heard from Chris Fagan? Well, I liked it, and, and it's great insight. It's really, really good insight because, you know, obviously I'm privy to the fact that so all clubs, um, you know, the day before a game, all, all clubs have a captain's run, a really light 
session. You go through your last-minute opposition analysis and, and preview. And the coaches all have what they call a what-if meeting. So they go in there and they say, you know, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? So, you know, what if Oscar McInerney goes down? What if Harris Andrews goes down? What if Joe Danaher's shoulder is no good? And it sounds like a lot of those questions, the same answer is, well, if Darcy Fort's on the bench and can come in and be our second ruck, then McStay can go back, as Chris Fagan said. You know, then Fort can come in and replace a tall forward, and we're not necessarily shorthanded in the front half. So typically those what-if meetings go for about two hours, but it sounds like Chris Fagan... In his own head, his what-if meeting has gone for about 24 hours because he's laid in bed <laughs> thinking about it all night now. Again, that highlights to me, who would want to be a coach? <laughs> it is a 25-8 job, isn't it, to be a senior oh, coach? Oh, it's in incredible. Sport. It's incredible. Um, and just a small thing, you know, we think, yeah, put anyone as a mini-sub, it doesn't matter. They probably won't get in the game anyway. We just put anyone in there, but it just shows how much detail these coaches put into things and... For as much effort as the the and and thought the the senior coaches are putting in, the assistants are putting as much, if not a little bit more. Brisbane second ten and three heading into the bye. On the other side of it, Melbourne. What a game that is going to be in a couple of weeks' time. This is Sunday crunch time for South Australia. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Sunday Crunch Time for South Australia. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com. Julian Marcus, Josh Jenkins with you on this long weekend. And it started really with, uh, of course, Richmond winning on... Thursday night football against Port Adelaide, but the big night on Friday night, Essendon's 150th anniversary celebrations, gate crash by their arch-rival Carlton to continue the Blues renaissance of 2022. They're in fourth position as it stands right now, 9-3. and three. They've got a big clash with Richmond coming up next week, of course. But yesterday, their coach Michael, Voice, Michael Voss, he's lost his voice, but he's got a, a big, Big performance out of this Carlton side so far this season. Michael Voss, he joined the lads yesterday on Saturday crunch time to have a chat with them about just how things are travelling at Icon Park at the moment. Here's some of what he had to say. Blues and nine and three. Standards are rising, opportunities knocking, and the coach Michael Voss is with us on crunch time. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Jared. What had you so worked up at three-quarter time, Michael? What had you seen <laughs> that rankled you? <laughs> Yeah, I've been rewinded now of it a few times. Um, but I've oh, been just straight away from a, a few simple things in the game. Um, been working on a, on a few things just to be able to make sure that we can um, execute correctly for longer. And um, we just drifted away from it. Um, started the quarter really well and, um, and weren't able to stay to it. So um, it was just a nice, friendly reminder to, <laughs> to get back on that task. You've got to have that in you, don't you, Michael? Yeah, I think so. Um, you, you know, you different ways to looking to get the best out of your group, and um, you know, I said at the time, it's it's, and I've said right throughout this year, it's not about the scoreboard for us. Where um, <clears throat> we've obviously been able to put a lot of great transformational moments in the group. Um, we're still very much learning about what we need to be able to do to um, get to where we need to go, and um, sometimes you've got to call on those sorts of things to be able to uh, draw something out of them. 
Was it a, a flow-on from maybe a couple of the things that you'd highlighted after the Collingwood game? Um, oh, a little bit. The Collingwood game was somewhat um, different in that uh, we just didn't start with the energy um, required for the defensive part of the game, and it really put us at risk um, for most of the game. So the fact that we strung um, probably two 10-minute periods um, throughout that game and, and almost snatched it, we, we were almost put ourselves in a, in a, in a um, position to win the game, but we certainly didn't deserve it. Um, now this was somewhat different. Um, it was just uh, being able to make sure that we just stuck to our job. We we got our detail role, in our roles right, um, and that gives us the best chance to be able to um, play the right way. Vossi, Essendon obviously came with a big occasion. They hunted the ball early. It was a sort of it was a weird game for you guys a little bit last night. Early on, your stoppage work probably wasn't up to what we've expected from you guys in the past. But your ball movement, your composure moving forward was was really good and broke Essendon and open a couple of times. But then in the second half, it looked like it flipped. Uh, Cripps got his hands on the ball around the stoppage, but your ball movement really dropped away. What did the the guys say about that after the game? Yeah, it's a funny one. <laughs> that wasn't it. Uh, that we had to set the game up from uh, in a different way. Um, you know, we've obviously had that um, clearance dominance um, that uh, uh, that we normally have, but obviously some went to work on it really hard and um, we're able to get field position. And um, But on the on the counter, we're able to work our way through it and um, really clever with our ball use, um, took the options, um, felt like even though that we were moving the way we were, it's still pretty much low risk and um, it set up some really good scoring opportunities. But... Um, you know, clearly you're trying to address most things. Um, you know, the mids went to work and, and gave us a bit more territory from that part of the game, but uh, we fell away in a few other areas. And to be fair, you know, I, I would say that both teams weren't um, going great by foot at that particular time. The more the game went on, it seemed uh, that the errors were able to were escalating. Fossey, Hodgie spoke earlier before you came on in regards to the tempo of the game and ways that you can get more, I guess, bang for your buck, when to go fast and when to go slow. Is that an educational thing, whether you agree with it or not? And how do you teach that? And I probably teach your players in the moment to understand what the situation needs. It's a fair, fair body of work um, because we certainly haven't got it right um, all the time. Uh, and it's, it's a very much feel thing for the players. Um, we certainly uh, um, talk about it a fair bit. Our chances our offensive coach. And, um, you know, he's always talking about the speed and the numbers and, um, assessing the situation. Um, ultimately, it's just you, it, it comes down to your training environment um, and and being able to try and recreate scenarios and um, and then go out there and train it. So because the players are the ones that have to be able to feel it. Um, and and but the one thing we can never replicate, of course, is the opposition and what they're doing. And and um, you know, sixty five thousand people in the stands. So um, we're very much. Um, um, ask the players to be able to make those decisions and uh, when's the right time to do what. You, you get to bring back Caleb March back last night for the first time in a very, very long time. He's been riddled with the injuries for about three seasons. How nice is it as a coach to be able to tell somebody that news and how pleasing was it for the group to have him back in the team? Oh, they're the joyful moments of coaching. Um, it was uh, it was fantastic just to be able to see. Um, he's clearly loved by this playing group. Um, he's had an, an incredible journey over the last um, last three years and I've said it a couple of times, but he's had some ups and downs since I've been here and um, you know he's had some challenges that have extended beyond that, well beyond that. Um, so for, for to give him the news, um, I wanted to tell him after training because it's just like, oh, 
You want to tell him before training that something happened. Uh, want to tell him after training, and the boys are just absolutely wrapped. It it can really energise you. Um, you know, clearly we lost Weeders last week, and um, it was disappointing. We've lost him for a little while, but um, to fill that with some great news, um, the boys got around him pretty big. Uh, Silvani, you look at him last night. He did so many good things, but. What we keep seeing with your players when you do get injuries is people step up and play roles that they don't normally play. You look at Draper and Phillips last night was trying to work over to Koning. Um, but Silvani was able to jump in, play a ruck, work hard forward. You've got to be impressed with some of the selfless mindset and acts from some of your younger players. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we, we've certainly got players that have um, received some accolades for some of the games that they've played. Um, you know, Charlie's kicking the goals and H and you know, is having a great season, and um, obviously Docky's story on its own is, um, you know, is an un- unbelievable one. And his form has uh, been strong. Um, but the, the the thing that we've tried to really value more than anything else is our is um, the guys are able to willing to do roles, and and certainly Soss has been that guy um, from the first moment I met him. He's uh, um, sort of stipulated where he feels like he can um, help us, and and he's just prepared to be able to play whatever role we give us, and. Um, I think he likes going into the ruck. Um, he likes that freedom to be able to roam around the ground and, and get his hands dirty and, and then obviously slide forward and um, create that pressure. And if he's lucky, he'd go. It would be nice uh, coaching Patrick Cripps, but one person I look at is Sam Walsh and what he does for your game style. The work rate that, that kid does up and back, <laughs> runs out to the wings. He creates space for other people around him, but his work rate sorts out the, the link-up one-two. He gets burned a lot by his teammates, but that's because he, he gets up and he, he continues to present options. And, and I guess he makes the, the defenders really second-guess whether they go with him or stay with the ball carrier. Um, his work rate last night was outstanding. Yeah, it's, it's just the guys that um, run when everyone else stops. He's uh, It's phenomenal what this guy does with his training. Um, you know, like it, there's nothing he misses in his preparation. Um, you know, he's first he's first on the track and he's generally last to leave. Uh, you know, like he's just constantly working on his game and um, and when you sort of have someone like that in your in your team that can just still work when everyone else is stopping, it just still keeps your system flowing and demands others to keep running. And um, you know, he's obviously been a a fantastic player um, for us in the past. Um, this year, he's been great to coach. Um, like I said, he's always trying to go to work, and he's always trying to work out how he can help the team. And um, yeah, he's got a he's got an unbelievable attitude, unbelievable work rate, and, and clearly we know his talents. Fossey, we know you've got a lot of really good players. You've just touched on a couple. I want to ask you about a couple of the lesser known, or I guess the less high profile players in Owies, Cottrell, and Durden. Now look at their numbers last night: two goals, one goal, and Durden a couple of behinds. What do you ask of these players in these sort of role plays? How do you measure them as well? And how do you know if they are actually committing or, or achieving what you want from them, given that you can't just base it off pure numbers? It's a great question. Um, if I had to come back in my footy lifetime uh, and, and, and play in a different position, I wouldn't pick half forward. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it's such an unrewarded um, place to play. And these guys know how much we absolutely love what they do. Um, and we have to also acknowledge that these are sorts of roles where um, you won't walk off the ground playing a fantastic game every week. And you'll have periods of the game where um, you might not get near it, um, but you still have to run those defensive patterns. You still have to you know, get up and do things like you know, taking away the corridor, 
Then we asked them to reset back inside 50 and get the ground ball and chase and harass and tackle. And, and mate, when you get the chance, um, can you keep the odd goal? It would be nice and, and, <laughs> and finish it off. It's it's such an unrewarded um, role to play. But every single team, I think, would sit here and really um, you know, pour the love on the guys that are able to do those roles. And, and that's what they do for us. Um, they've been able to bring the pressure, been able to bring the heat. Um, it just creates that delay that you need to be able to set up your defence and, and without them, our system just doesn't work. So that was Michael Voss, the Carlton head coach yesterday on Saturday crunch time with the boys and uh, looking forward to next week. Of course, they take on Richmond at the MCG in what's going to be a big game. You're listening to Crunch Time for Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Answer the camel's call, Thirsty Camel Bottle Shop. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Hello everyone and welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. This is a pre-game show for Thirsty Camel. Answer the Camel's Core Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Hope you're enjoying your long weekend wherever you may be. Julian Marcus in the chair with you this afternoon. Josh Jenkins is with me. Josh, it's always nice to have a long weekend, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're up, in, uh, up in sunny slash chilly Swan Hill for the long weekend, so... Good to get uh, get away for a couple of days, but back for Queen's birthday Monday tomorrow. But uh, you're spot on. It's a little less footy, um, but nice to. It's a bit of a semi break, isn't it? You get less footy to to uh, to wrap your head around and uh, try and be across. But yeah, it's a it's a nice time of year. We're looking on the Saturday wrap slate. It was quantity over quality. Well, both yesterday it was quality with the smaller amount of games. Just the two Fremantle fourteen eleven ninety five over. Hawthorne 12 10 82. It was billed as the Nat Five show on his return. What did you make of Nat Five yesterday's first game in the seniors for this season? Yeah, I think rock solid. He's, yeah, we're, we're perhaps now Fremantle fans will be hoping I'm completely off the mark, but you know, whether with the amount of uh, you know, wear and tear on his frame and his body and the amount of surgeries that he has had. He's a 30-year-old, turns 31 in September. So whether the, the two-time Brownlow mid, medal-winning midfielder, Nathan Fife is still there, whether that level of play is still under the under the hood, I'm not sure and I'm not certain, but perhaps Fremantle don't need that level of play. Perhaps they need you know, him 30 40% forward, being dangerous, occupying one of the best defenders, from the opposition and and then going in for bursts around the footy because they do certainly have a have a have enough really quality midfielders that he can sort of be not a bit part player but sort of a, a real burst and a real impact player when he goes in there around the ball. So you know, twenty two disposals, handballed the footy a fair bit yesterday, but still had ten score involvements, which I think is a really crucial element and 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 metric for his game. Had half a dozen clearances and and managed to have three shots on goal. So a really solid. Uh, a return to the top level for for, for Nathan Fife. And uh, for those of you who've been with us throughout the first hour of the program, we didn't mention Blake Akers. It was such mm. an enjoyable game to watch yesterday. But when we saw him hobble off to the bench and he was in tears on the bench after it looked like he's torn a hamstring, that 
just it took me out of the moment for quite some time. What about you just seeing that? Yeah, it's a shame. He's having a, a really standout season. He's one of those guys that's taking his game to a, another level and, and, and he's playing so good this year. So been averaging 21 disposals and kicked a goal every couple of games and been a really good link player and you know, getting the ball inside 50 for his team and being able to get back and help them get it out of D50 as well. So it's a shame for, for him because, you know, no doubt he's enjoying playing really good footy and, and having a good season, but they'll miss him. And hopefully it's one of the two to three week hamstring rather than a long-termer. But I guess we'll uh, we'll see what the scans tell us in 24 or 36 hours time. And so because he's been sensational this season for Fremantle. He was great again yesterday in their win over the Hawks. From a Hawthorne point of view, they have come close repetitively now. They've had these honourable losses, as we like to say in this uh, this genre. The close performance yesterday, last week against Collingwood, yesterday against Fremantle. Yesterday, it did seem like it was built on the back of that pressure that they put around the ball on Fremantle. But in this being a young side, first year under Sam Mitchell, my question to you, Josh, is it's good that they've been able to, well, it's been great they've been able to get to this point this quick, but... Are they overachieving? Are they, are they are they hitting their ceiling? Do they have the talent within this group to be able to take that and build upon that as the seasons go by and become a genuine contender in the next couple of years? They're, they're certainly not overachieving because they are they are thirteenth on the ladder. So, yeah, they're, they're they're what are they? They're four and nine. So they're not they're not overachieving, but they are a they are an honest group. They're a, they're a group who who competes hard, but they just. I just couldn't get the ball off Fremantle yesterday. Freo of 299 uncontested possessions versus 182. You know, like it's a thumping. It's just allowing the other team to have the ball for a long, long period of the game. Almost minus 28 marks. So they couldn't get the ball off Fremantle at all. And when you're, when you're running around trying to defend uncontested marks, it becomes really, really difficult. Uh, minus 30 uncontested marks. They didn't win the clearance count either. They didn't win the tackle count. So, so many of their metrics were in favour of Fremantle. So, we, you know, we, talk, we did talk about in the first hour about Fremantle perhaps not playing their best. The numbers do suggest that Fremantle were, were even more uh, dominant than the scoreboard suggests. Hawthorne were able to get it inside forward 50 a lot, 61 times, but they just couldn't get enough shots. Their inside 50 efficiency was too low, 36% on the day. They only generated 22 shots on goal from... 61 entries, you want to be up around that 50 to 54% mark if you can. So Hawthorne just, we spoke about this earlier as well, they just, they're, they're, a, they're an honest group. They're a, they're a group who's having a crack. They're a group who have got some young players who are, who are evolving and blossoming and emerging, but they don't have a lot of top-end talent. They don't have many, if any, match winners in that 22. Can they blossom into that top-end talent? Well, I mean, I, I wonder, looking through their group, I wonder who can Evolve. I think I think Giaf's got the, the the capability of being a a, a match winning type player. He's, he's a dasher and he he plays with real flair. But you know that you look at their midfield mix. So Mira's not quite a. He probably no longer has that ability to be a match winner, or he hasn't evolved into a match winner. We probably thought when he was a Gold Coast son before he encountered some bad injuries, he looked like being. You know, absolutely anything as a player. Had a great game yesterday, but probably consistently isn't that match-winning type. We know that's not Tom Mitchell's go. He's more of a an accumulator and a distributor, not necessarily a real match winner. 
Sicily can be a match-winning type with his intercept and his creativeness by foot. Newcomb's a hard worker. Moore's a hard worker. They've got a lot of guys who are who are who are more more about grit and grind than they are sort of being able to uh, be that guy who can stand up and take a take a game away from an opposition in a fifteen or twenty minute period. So they will. They're not easy to find, let's make no mistake about it, but they definitely need to find one or two more guys who can step up and, and be that, that match-winning force in a short period. Brisbane 10, 18, 78, St Kilda 8, 9, 57 at the Gabba. Another scoreline that suggests uh, Brisbane dominant, unable to convert. We did speak about that earlier on in the program and just some of the little things of concern that came through last night in big games but from a St Kilda point of view Josh I look at their next month they got Essendon Friday night then they got Sydney in round 15 at the SCG Carlton on a Friday night in round 16 at Marvel and then on a Saturday night Fremantle at Marvel it's a big month it is yeah it's a big month it's a really really big month but they're good enough they're up to it they proved well they've proven over the first half of the season they are up to it they are good enough and they can get it done against anyone so it's just going to be a matter of you know, not being, not just being in games, but being able to be in them and then win them because that's going to be the difference between you know, certainly a top four spot, but from here we'd expect a top eight at least. But I think if you're a if you're a Saints fan, you've got every right to sort of think from here we'd have to give the top four a real nudge. But you've just got to ensure that you don't have those down those slips where you lose a game that you. You, you know, you're favoured to win by three or four goals. You've got to go after those ones and make sure you bank those games. Let's have a look at the bounce back for Jiravej, providing erosion control and environmental revegetation this afternoon. Just the one game on at the slate today. North Melbourne, GWS, Marvel Stadium. Hmm. It's not exactly one that will uh, attract, A, too many eyeballs, to the TV screen, too many uh, ears to the radio, or probably too many bums on seats. So uh, it's a bit of a yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a strange one that it's the only game on, on on this Sunday. But it is what it is. We don't know whether it you know we we're not we're just assuming it won't be a great game. We don't know that for sure. We've still got to go and play the game. You don't play the game on paper. So the Roos will give themselves a little bit of a sniff. And GWS under Mark McVeigh have been really honest and, and really uh, dangerous. So there's a little bit to like about the game. But um, if, I, if I don't catch all of this one, I won't be too upset. 1-11 North Melbourne so far this year. That one win coming against the West Coast Eagles in a week that they made 15 changes. And they were lucky to win. And they were lucky to win that as well. Um, we didn't expect a lot out of North Melbourne going into <laughs> 2022. I think that's needless to say. But even with that, have they gone beneath those expectations yes 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 considerably as well I remember doing some um you know preparing for round one I played Hawthorne at the G I tipped them to win that game now now that looks foolish now but at that point Hawthorne were were you know, about to play their first game under Sam Mitchell they were the team who were expected to be you know, at rock bottom North played so poorly they were really disappointed with themselves but Fast forward 12 or 13 weeks, and that's been the norm for them. They have not dished up, you know, aside from a, a, a road loss to Sydney where they were in the game and they were, you know, they were gritty and they were having a crack, they have had countless games where they've been completely 
completely blown off the park. It's been really, really ugly to, to, to be a, a North Melbourne fan. And let's just hope, you know, I think today's a game where not many will be tipping them to win. But, I mean, it shouldn't be any more than a, a, you know, a, a four-goal game, really. It, it should not be a, anything more than a four-goal game. They're not playing world beaters in GWS today. So, yeah, if they if they go down by seven or eight or nine goals, that would be um, yeah, that would be very ugly. How many do you think they'll get at Marvel today? <laughs> well, whatever they get, I don't think we'll get the true number. The worse, the 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 lower the amount of people that turn up, I think the less likely it is that the number will be made available for us to to know. So yeah, I don't imagine it will be many. It could be five or six thousand. Maybe it'll be nine or ten thousand. Let's hope that. Let's hope that, because the, the narrative's been out there, you know, oh, no one's going to go to this game. Let's hope North fans take that and, and wear that as a badge of honour and say, you know what, I am going to go and watch my team. I, I know they're playing terribly and I know we'll probably lose and I know it's cold, but it's indoors at, at Marvel Stadium, so I'm going to go and turn up and support my team. So let's hope a few North fans, if you haven't decided to go and you're listening to this, go and support your team. It's a 3.20 game. You'll be home by half past six. It is a long weekend. You've got tomorrow off work, most likely. So go and support the Roos, and hopefully they can uh, put forth a good performance for you. Well, if you're listening in Melbourne, you're a North Melbourne supporter, and you're still on the fence, your coach, David Noble, he's got a message for you. You know, in tough times, we need support. You know, there's no doubt. I think, um, you know, our membership base numbers are really healthy. You know, they, I still believe they understand and um, where we're at, but we would like to see people, you know, come to the ground um, and support us on field. Um, you know, that's that's the essence of what you do. You know, great communities, great clubs and organisations stick together when things are a bit tough. Um, yeah, so anyone, any of the Shinbona fans and members that are out there, um, yeah, please come down to the ground. Interesting, interesting. You don't hear that too often from a coach, do you? Well, no. they probably don't have to. Pleading with his fans, almost putting it back on them to say, we're doing it tough. We understand that, but we need you. Like it's, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear, hear, uh, hear that from a senior coach. And I guess that's David Noble understanding the reality of you know, the situation in terms of if we don't you know, put out a bit of a, a call to arms, then and potentially we won't get many come through the through, through the gates because they aren't from an on-field perspective. They're not doing a lot to to uh they're not doing a lot to to sort of lure fans into the stands so it will be interesting to see what happens in terms of a you know the spectators and how many turn up but I'm more interested about how they actually play and what sort of uh, performance they can put forth on the ground because if they can play well today then a few more will turn up next week and so on and so forth I really do hope we're pleasantly surprised both by the amount of fans that are in the stands and by the performance from North Melbourne on the field this afternoon. And they have struggled all year, North Melbourne. But again, David Noble in that same press conference, he did talk about how his side has been looking to try and find opportunity through adversity this year. Yeah, I'm going well, learning a lot. Like you learn more about your players, you know, the adversity creates opportunity. Um, and that opportunity is for us, both as a staff, club and playing group, to step up to the to the mark. So. We're not happy with the performances that we've delivered so far this year. Um, so we've, we've learnt, but we've got to grow quickly. Um, probably not growing as quickly as what we'd like. So we'll see how they fare this afternoon against the GWS side that are 3-8 and eight themselves. They've had a, an Ananas Hobbless of their own. But, I mean, on the whole, is there something you can get excited about for this game? Uh, look, 
<laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, it would be exciting if North Melbourne are in the game all the way to the end, and, yeah. and who knows, pinch the game. Like this shouldn't be a game where there's been a lot this year where you think, no, nah, North have got no chance. They're playing terribly. They've just got no chance. This should not be one of those games where where North fans and even North players who might have a, have a negative mindset, or you might, you know, your, your players understand the reality of the situation. You know, North players would understand going on the road, oh, gee, this is going to be a tough game. It's going to be hard to win. Hopefully we're competitive. But this should be a game where North players and North fans think, you know what, if we actually play with spirit and determination and play together and get off to a good start, there's no reason why we can't win this game. GWS are not world beaters. They've actually removed their senior coach only a few weeks ago. So North players and fans should be up and about and excited about what they might be able to do if they can bring their best uh, best uh, performance today. As far as winnable games are concerned for North Melbourne, it's just we would probably consider in that uh, ballpark. By the way, the lowest crowd for an AFL game at Marvel, 8,974. So well, That's in big danger. Yeah. I would really, really like to think that that won't get broken today, but we shall see. Now, I mentioned there is a roof, so you won't get rained on if you're here in Melbourne. That is, <laughs> We've got to look for the positives anywhere we yeah, can find indeed. it. Yeah, indeed. I like it. I like it. And uh, I agree. It's... I love going to Marvel. A lot of people don't like going to Marvel. I love playing there, and I love going there to watch footy because it's uh, a little bit warmer than the MCG. You know, you're not going to get wet. It's not going to be windy, and by all rights, you should see good footy. I don't get the Marvel hate. I, 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 I don't understand it either. I lived in Sydney for the first 30 years of my life. There's a few stadiums in Sydney. If you think Marvel's bad, try Brookvale Oval. But uh, <laughs> we've got to talk about Bailey Smith because mm, we do. What is what is your take on the whole situation as a whole? Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, and you know, I'm and, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal or, or put myself above anyone or below, whatever. You know, I'm, I've never taken a drug in my life, and I'm very proud of that fact. But the reality is, what Bailey Smith has done, and I don't know whether there's been an admission that it's drugs or whatever. You know, we sort of play you know ducks and drakes with white powder, and the reality is, Bailey Smith is doing or has done, what a, an enormous amount of the community also gets up to. And that's that's actually sad, but it's also reality. So many uh, people of Bailey's age are, are behaving in the same way every single weekend and probably, you know what, throughout the week as well. And I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that's right. In fact, it's actually wrong. But Bailey is a, is, is a, Bailey has been put... Uh, on a pedestal because of his 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 um, his celebrity status and his fame and how popular he is and uh, we've seen other players make similar mistakes and they've paid a price and he needs to pay a price because um, you know, he certainly shouldn't have have done what he's done. Uh, I don't think you know, the, 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 the 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 filming element it you know that's just part and parcel. There'll be people clamouring to try and film him and others doing the wrong thing. We've seen that countless times. So. It, it's a shame it's it's got to this point, but uh, Bailey's acknowledged that he's had some issues in the past and he's done some some wrong things. And I like the fact that he, for the most part, did own his 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 behaviour and didn't necessarily blame it on something else. So I guess it's a bit of a um, to be confirmed on terms of what the punishment looks like. But 
certainly it's um yeah, certainly it's hopefully a fork in the road for him because he's had a few issues in terms of you know, um, his he- his headbutt against Zach Tui last week that was certainly a strange thing to see from him and then this has come out um, you know at, 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 on this weekend as well so he's got a bit to work through and hopefully you know he deserves to get some support but certainly you've got to be responsible for your actions as well and 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 I presume that he will be well, his statement this is part of his statement I found this refreshingly honest from him. In confronting this, the temptation is to speak in vague genuinalities and avoid the issue. However, I'm determined to learn the lessons of my past and be a better person in the future. After much reflection, I'm now in a position to confess to indulging in behaviours in late 2021, of which I'm deeply ashamed. I do not have an excuse for those behaviours. However, the state of my mental health over that period post-grand final dramatically deteriorated, and I spiralled out of control leading to poor decision-making and actions at the time. All this resulting in the leave I took from the football department at the commencement of pre-season training late last year. I know I have obligations beyond myself, not just contractually, but in terms of the example I set through the decisions I make, and I will be better. I have made mistakes. I am very aware of that, and I fully own it. Hmm. I like it. It's detailed. It's it's um, certainly, it's certainly no... It's very transparent. It sounds authentic. Um, no doubt he probably had some assistance with it, but the reality is he, he, he those words are, are excellent. They sound great, but he has to go and action them. He has to go and do the right thing. And you know what? There's, there's enough, particularly with phones and cameras and social media and chatter, and if, he, if, he, if he's unable to do the right thing or he doesn't, his actions don't mimic his words, uh, you know, that... that those that that sort of thing will get around and people will know about it. So he has to go and just action exactly what he's written down on that statement now. So the the challenge is for him and the people around him to support him and help him do that and ensure that he puts himself, you know, in the right situations and doesn't leave himself vulnerable to bad decision making because people are prone to making bad decisions. You know, alcohol and 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 partying and nightclubs can lead people to make really really poor decisions. So perhaps. He needs to just have a really good think about and a really good plan for what he's going to do and who's going to be around him when he is deciding to, to socialise. Because let's remember, and as I said, like the rest of society, he's a young man who deserves the opportunity to go out and enjoy himself. Well, this was Luke Hodge yesterday on Saturday Crunch Time speaking about this matter. But I think where the Western Bulldogs here, they have to look after him first of all. Mm. Um, He's a kid who he's taken time away for personal leave um, not too long ago. Um, there's been a lot of things going behind the scenes um, which he struggled with personally. Uh, and this is this is no excuse. I'm, what I'm saying here is what the doggies have to do is make sure this kid is okay because he's going to get he's going to be rock bottom right now. Uh, and people out there say yes, yeah, so he should be, and, and you're probably fair enough in that opinion. But the most important thing is for the next few weeks, few months, while he's trying to, I guess improve or make up for his mistake that he's done that he's going to hit rock bottom and, and it's a big job for his friends, his family and the Western Bulldogs to make yeah. sure they look after him. Yeah, that was Luke Hodge yesterday on Saturday crunch time uh, and then you look across town at their fellow grand finalists, the, the Premier's Melbourne and they've had some issues of their own of course, so that, uh, their case is fine dining restaurants in Stephen May and Jake <laughs> Melksham in particular. So always those state restaurants you've got to be careful for. Uh, what's your take on how this has all played out. Oh, strange one, isn't it? Now, now, sort of uh, heard the initial um, or the alleged sledge and thought, you know, that's pretty pretty pathetic from Stephen May. That's a really poor thing to say. And then Max Gorn refutes it in some 
uh, in some way. So apparently, I think the latest is, and you might be able to sort of clarify, Julian, if I've, if I've missed anything, but something similar to that was said in terms of the grand final, but not exactly that. So whatever it is, let's presume it was something in that vein in terms of, you know, ha-ha, you missed out in the grand final. It's just average. It's ordinary. You know, we've heard other players, premiership players, speak about the fact that there is a divide that's created, a silent divide that's created by the, the 22 who get to play in a premiership and, and the rest who don't. And as much as you try and you know, uh, make everyone feel a part of it, and we've seen Richmond with their premierships get their, their non-playing players to put their Guernseys on, but you know, the reality is even singing the song together after a grand final win, there's, there's 22 guys who have a medal and there's a, the rest of the guys who don't have a medal. So you know, to, to, to say that, whatever was said, but to, to, to voice that and to sort of you know, make fun of a teammate in that vein is, uh, is pretty ordinary. And, and Stephen May's got a lot of making up to do in that space. It doesn't diminish him as a player. He's still, in my opinion, Melbourne's most important player and they miss him for an extra week, which is a shame. But um, yeah, he's got a lot of making up to do. He'd be, I imagine he'd be fairly sheepish when he walks around the corridors of, of the uh, Dees training facility at the moment. This is what uh, AFL Nation's Nathan Jones had to say about this course. For, for, as we talk about Melbourne, he's as Melbourne as it gets, and this was his take on the matter. I'll be brutally honest. As soon as I heard that, without even having spoken to anyone, I absolutely took offence. I was there, I lived it, and I was like, oh, surely not. Like, yeah. And it hurt me. Like I was thinking, and uh, you can only imagine, you know, I don't know how many boys were there on the night, but you know, say there's two or three that didn't play, then that infiltrating back into the group of the 20-odd guys that didn't play as well. And um, I think that's the danger of it. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, uh, well, you'd hope internally that they're able to address that. And, and Nathan Jones, he's in the same situation. He was, he was the heart and soul of that group and, of course, made way mid-year. And would you say that to Nathan Jones? Of course not. <laughs> you, you wouldn't and shouldn't say it to anyone. And the reality is... Again, whether it was whether it was that line and whether it was something different and similar, it's not true. Like Melbourne do not lose the grand final if Jake Malkin plays. Melbourne don't lose that grand final if they're playing with nineteen. They won the thing by seventy points. It's just a it's just a ludicrous thing to say. I don't understand the logic behind it. I don't understand the 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 reason why you would feel you need to say that. Whether you're trying to make yourself feel superior to the person you're sitting with but and either way it's just strange and silly we'll get on to that and more as we count down to sunday football for marvel stadium this is sunday crunch time and it's all thanks to thirsty camel bottle shops you're listening to crunch time for south australia tourism perfect for those who want a little more this winter visit southaustralia.com and 7-eleven you're never far away from 7-eleven's classic slow-cooked australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Sunday crunch time. Thanks to Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Julian Marcus with you. Josh Jenkins is here with us. Our expert today here for Buy My Stock. Got excess stock? Visit buymystock.com.au. And our talk back is for Kogan Mobile. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile. North Melbourne GWS come out later this afternoon. 3.20 first bounce at Marvel Stadium. But... Let's look ahead, Josh, to tomorrow and what we're looking forward to at the MCG. Collingwood, Melbourne, big freeze number eight. Back at the MCG after a couple of years away. Last year it was at the SCG with the sliders behind closed doors at the G. But tomorrow, 
70,000 plus, hopefully, at the MCG to see what's going to be a fantastic game of football. Collingwood have been sensational throughout most of the year in Melbourne. We know how good they've been, although they are on the slide. This makes for such a tantalising occasion tomorrow. It does. It does. It's, uh, yeah, it, it promises to be interesting. Both sides without some of um, or some guys that they'd love to have out there, but um, the, the the Pies get Jamie Elliott back, who's who's important, and he's you know he's a he's a player that I, I speak about in terms of Hawthorne. He's a match winning type of guy who can jump up for for fifteen or twenty minutes or a quarter of footy and kick three goals and 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 separate two teams. So you know getting Elliott back is is really important for for the Pies. Their their ruck combination they lose they lose Cox but Cameron's going to have a huge Darcy Cameron will have a huge job to try and quell Max Gorn who's been in you know, despite the D struggles over the past couple of weeks he's been playing incredibly good football alongside uh, Luke Jackson who will give him some assistance so you know Darcy Cameron's got a huge job on his hands I love the Collingwood back six or seven you know they play with Dash and and Flair and Dare. Darcy Moore and Howe take the key posts and they play the game you know, you know, on their own terms in terms of the way they try and read the game. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Quainor and Maynard's an excellent player. Pendlebury and Chris really swap between on-ball and half-back. They've got a lot of guys back there. John Noble, another who, who, uh, you know, who give them great dash and great run and it sets up a lot for them. And they, they play the, the, the game with space in their forward half. Mychek, who... He's got a bit of a banged-up knee, but I think he'll be okay. Dugowie ahead of the footy. You know, Ginevan's much talked about, but the reality is he's a dangerous forward. Ollie Henry the same. So I like what Collingwood have, have, have done. I like where they're at, but I do expect Melbourne to, to bounce back and just solidify things and, and just stabilise after a really tumultuous week. Yeah, we've got to, just looking ahead for both sides. Both teams have the bye after Monday's game. And then Collingwood's next four after that. They've got GWS at the G. A trip to face the Suns at Metricon, which is going to be pretty tricky for them. Uh, an MCG home game against North Melbourne. And then they take on the Crows at the Adelaide Oval. So that's a pretty kind month for Collingwood. That Really out of that, you'd say that the trip to the Gold Coast will be their biggest test after that. So if they can get the four points tomorrow, geez, it really sets them up beautifully, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It does. I went out in the limb and predicted they could finish or said they could finish top six. They're not quite there at the moment, but they've played some some good footy and they had Geelong dead to rights and, and, and weren't quite able to finish a deal on that occasion. So we've seen them play really good footy. Just whether where they're at in terms of their build and whether Melbourne can just stabilise themselves. You know, Salem's been back for a couple of weeks. Jake Lever will be keen to atone to, for some, some down performances. I think Petrarca's been just a little bit down over the past couple of weeks. Clayton Oliver's been outstanding. He's just continued to press on. But they probably just need to get more... It's not fair to say their forwards just need to play better. I think they need to, to as a team, create more opportunities for them because they're not a match-winning forward line. You know, Brown's a, a competent forward or a more than competent forward, but he needs opportunity. Fritsch the same. He's a lead-up forward. So they need to create more and more opportunity for their forwards and give them just so many looks at the footy that it's almost impossible for them not to kick a winning score. For Melbourne coming out of the bye, they've got a huge game against Brisbane to start round 15 on a Thursday night. They head to Adelaide to take on the Crows in round 16. They head to the Cattery in round 17 for a showdown with Geelong. And then they've got Port Adelaide and Alice Springs in round 18. So 
it's like I said with Collingwood, if they do get that win tomorrow, then that puts them on eight wins going into the bye. They'd be eight and five. With that run the next month, you'd say they'd get at least three, probably four. So that puts them at 11 or 12 wins before you even get to round 19. Whereas if Melbourne dropped tomorrow, they're 10-3, and three, losing three on the bounce, and then you've got Brisbane waiting for you on the other side of the bye. It's not the most – it's not the month of death, but it's not an easy month. And then all of a sudden, Brisbane, Fremantle, even Carlton, they're lurking. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the separation we thought was, was once there and – the fact that people were saying, you know, Melbourne versus the field, you take Melbourne and they could run the table. Well, that, that feels like a long time ago. And I imagine it does to to the Melbourne players and coaches as well. And some of their pain has been self-inflicted, of course, with the Stephen May saga and what, what happened there and how that how that sort of shows itself on the field. Now, neither May nor Melksham will be out there, but whether the, the the guys have been distracted and have spent time dealing with what was said and what wasn't said and why a player who was in concussion protocols was drinking and how they ended up fighting, whether that's taken up a lot of their time and taken some of their focus off what they need to do to beat Collingwood, I'm not sure. Only the game will probably tell and only them in hindsight will probably know that for sure, but it certainly can't help. It mightn't hurt, but it certainly can't help. Before all of that blew up, does it come down to a case if you take Stephen May out of the back line and it affects everything else around Melbourne? Where have you seen Melbourne start to falter in those two defeats that they've had and where they can fix that up without Stephen May on the field? Yeah, well, they've, they've been beaten. sort of looked at both times they've been beaten and they've been beaten in different ways and Fremantle suffocated them. Dee's had, had them dead to rights as well. And then Fremantle just kind of flicked a switch defensively and completely suffocated Melbourne. And Melbourne couldn't score for a very, very long period in that game. And then last week, I, I love the way that Sydney were bold with the footy and they took the game on and they, they kicked through the Melbourne defence. And you know, once they lost May, it was it was really interesting in terms of the way that Sydney's young players and McInerney and Goulden and these guys were able to really kick through the Melbourne defenders and they weren't able to get set and Lever had to be involved in terms of defending the lead up and being in 1v1s versus his ability to be the one who's reading the high ball and coming back and helping and the same with May. So you know, any def- any defence, it doesn't matter how good they are collectively, if they're forced to defend fast ball movement, ball movement kick to leading players to space it it becomes really difficult so that's the secret it's far easier said than done but teams have shown now you can stop them scoring for sure but you can also kick through this this really scary team defense so uh, the template's been shown in a couple of different ways how you can get a hold of the d's and we know the pies can really start to motor on offense if they get half a sniff we've seen that at times this year do you think stylistically that does play into their hands the way that Melbourne is set up at the moment? Well, they've got they've got um, yeah, they've got threats ahead of the ball, Collingwood. They've got you know, they're young guys, but they've got Henry stood up late last week and took a couple of big grabs and kicked a big goal. You know, Ginevan's kicked goals this year. My checks that hard working, you know, goal kicking medium slash tall forward. We know Dugowie's a, a danger, and Elliot comes back in to provide that sort of small forward. Who can who can play as a full forward and, and kick goals? You know he's a two or three a game type guy. So, you know they've got threats ahead of the ball and they're all different. So it will it will pose a challenge to the Melbourne defence. 
of course, missing a couple of guys that they love to get back there. Michael Hibbard returns. I think he's one of his, or his first or, or one of his first games of the season coming off of that premiership. So they get a couple of guys back, but no doubt that Melbourne defence is not what it has been over the past 18 months. So Collingwood will go into that game confident if they can get supply, they'll trouble them. Can't wait for that tomorrow at the G. It's, it's always one of the showpiece occasions of the AFL season. Back at the G after the last couple of years, Collingwood and Melbourne. But going back to Thursday night, and I was sitting in the outer. You were in the commentary box on Thursday as Richmond just held out Port Adelaide at the mm. finish. But when I saw Zach Butters and Tom Jonas come together, you could actually hear the thud from the outer. It was sickening. I thought for sure both of them were gone. Like we wouldn't see mm. them again for probably two to three weeks. You could hear an audible gasp go across the crowd when they ran back onto the field. Yeah. And the AFL said they're satisfied with it. Aaron Samuel and broke the story that the AFL's happy with how poor Adelaide handled the entire situation. What what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean I'm 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 I was really surprised. Well, I was I was quite stunned that they that they came back on without having to do a concussion test and I understand you can have a knock to the head without necessarily getting concussion, but how do you know you don't have concussion if you don't take the test? That's my sort of query around it and whether there's some parameters that, that well, more parameters that need to go on on the head, head knock ruling in terms of, because you couldn't argue it wasn't uh, a heavy collision because both players ended up with blood flowing from their head. So you can't argue it's not a heavy collision both players are bleeding from their head. Both players took some time to get up. I watched them both. As you said, I was working that game for AFL Nation. Both players took some time, considerable time to get up, and both had to be helped from the ground. I, I, I automatically thought, well, I said, I said it in the course. They're both done. They have to, will have to take a concussion test, which is 20 minutes. There's about 11 minutes to go. I, 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 was, I was really quite stunned that they didn't have to, to take that test. So... Um, the AFL have said what they've said. Port Adelaide have said what they've said. We take them at face value, but I, I, I'm thinking perhaps the, the 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 rules and guidelines around head knocks need to be altered again because it it, it just doesn't seem right that they could have such a, a significant head clash and be deemed fit to play after three or four minutes. Yeah, Zach Butters was off the field for six minutes. Tom Jonas was off the field for eight minutes, whereas the AFL stated that they were satisfied with the, how poor Adelaide handled the situation. Ultimately, there was no clinical indication of concussion that warranted further investigation and testing. Thus, the club doctors allowed both players to return to the field. And Ken Hinckley was very, very much uh, backing his club doctors when he was asked about it after the game. Just, just the look of it, the seriousness Jay, of it. Jay, do you think the doctor made the wrong call? No, 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 but that, that, it will be questioned naturally, obviously. But have I not, not answered your question? No, but I'm saying it, it's, a, it's a discussion point because of the look of it. That's why, that's why it'll be debated. It's, that would be unsurprising to you. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not unsurprised that you'd ask the question around how the boys were. Yeah. That's what I'm not surprised. Not, I'm not surprised at all by you asking how they were. They were fine. It's just because of the seriousness of the issue, obviously, at the moment, the client in the AFL. What does so it do mean? you think a doctor of 25 years would take a risk with concussion with the, the seriousness of the injuries that go on now with concussion? I, I wouldn't have thought they would, no. But so can would... we stop the questions? 
Well, it's just the look of it. That's all. No, I'm asking you. I've, I've tried to answer it for you as yeah. well as I can. Yeah, no, I'm just saying it is, it is the look. I of it get as well. what you're saying, Jay, but I'm also saying back to you. Gotcha. I've yep. got the most experienced doctor in the AFL yeah. making these decisions. Mm. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want him to go? Do you want him to go back to medical school? I don't know. It's really very, mm. one of the more fiery exchanges we've oh, seen yeah. sometime. The, the thing <laughs> yeah. is, though, Josh, is perception here is reality. And, of course, you've got a doctor 25 years experience there. No, you're not going to question that. But the perception that some people can take is, well, he's employed by the club. Is that something that the AFL need to look at as perhaps having an, a secondary independent doctor on the field in these situations that can sign off on this as an extra hand, just to just to call that debate entirely? Well, they do have that in the NFL. They have the independent uh, uh, medico who, who works, well, is employed by the league, the NFL, to do it. But oh, if you, ta- you, you, you take what Ken Hinckley said, well, there's no real... If the Port Adelaide doctor is using his 25 years of experience to deem that there's no concussion symptoms or no need to take a test, then you'd imagine the independent doctor would make the same ruling and the same finding. That's why I'm probably saying the guidelines perhaps need to be even more advanced and and strengthened in terms of, well, you know what? Like Every single person, there's only 21,000 people at that game, which was a really disappointing number, but all 21,000 people, as you said, sitting in the outer, gasped, and, with, and, and thought, well, these two are done because a concussion test takes 20 minutes. That was a really heavy hit. They took a long time to get up. They had to be off the ground for some time. Of course, they were trying to stem the bleeding, but they had to test for a concussion. And anyone who watched the replay, and I feel a little bit for Jay Clark there because he has to ask the question. Anyone who watched that replay has to be surprised that you can deem that there's no concussion without actually doing a test. So I would imagine... And look at the Tom Stewart example, and I was working down for the Cats when that happened. Tom Stewart got a head knock the week before, the Friday night before. He took his test, passed his test, and the, and the doctor still said, no, look, I, I'm not comfortable with the vision. Or how you can have it so different, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, take the doctors out of it, I'm talking about the actual parameters and the guidelines. How you can have uh, the Tom Stewart example where... He passes a test. What's deemed he needs to take a test. He passes a test in the second quarter or the end of the first quarter. And they say, no, look, the vision doesn't look great. Well, the vision didn't look great in the Port Adelaide example. So I don't quite understand how you can come to two different uh, outcomes with those two. I'm not saying that they didn't um, have concussion. You may well have been able to have those two guys take their test and they're both fine. But they should at least, in my opinion in my uneducated opinion, they should have to take the test at least. It's an evolving situation as we learn more around concussion and that is only going to continue as the months and the years go on and it will only become more refined. But the debate is certainly going to rage on. This is Sunday Crunch Time. Thanks to Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. More to come on the other side of this. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Enjoying Crunch Time banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Yeah, let's check in with Josh Jeans from Dabble on this uh, Sunday afternoon. How you doing, Josh? 
Yeah, doing all right. Enjoying uh, a bit of sunshine down here in Victoria at the moment. So, finally. I don't know where you are because where we are, it's over grey and very cold. <laughs> are you? Oh, my God. Anyway. Tell us about the double lap. Tell us uh, about what uh, this beauty does for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, social media meets betting. So, it has all your standard betting markets that you can put put bets on. And, of course, get involved in banter. So, a good example of that was uh, during the week. Origin, don't know if you watched it, but... Uh, other punters can get involved and have a chat during the game while things are happening, share their bets and follow the experts. How did the Saturday crunch time guys go yesterday? Uh, went to the wrist for the biscuit on the St Kilda game there, thinking the Saints would get up over the lines. Um, fortunately, that one didn't get up. But, uh, look, you've done pretty well last week. The same game multi seemed to be your bread and butter, and that's what you've gone with today. So let's have a look at that one. GWS to cover the line at 20 and a half points. Toby Green to kick four or more goals, which I actually don't mind that bet at all. Perryman to get 20-plus disposals. Josh Kelly over 30 and Toby Green 13 as well. What do you like there, Julian? Uh, I've got to go with the Giants. and I do like the Toby Green one to go four goals or more. He always pops up, particularly in these sorts of occasions. But, geez, I'd like to see North Melbourne get up. What, what are they playing at the moment? <laughs> North Melbourne, geez. Oh, geez. They're far away away from winning anything, I think, so... I mean, uh, there's a bit of money if you want to, you know, as you said, risk it for the biscuit yesterday as well. So plenty to like there, Julian. And, of course, there's plenty of other sports going on as well. So, of course, you can download the Dabble app for the Crunch Time AFL team, which are close to a 1,000 followers. So absolutely killing it in the community. And people loving what you're putting out there as well. So copy that bet with one click. Go on, have a Dabble, Dabble socially, and gamble responsibly. Thanks, Josh. Enjoy the sunshine. You too. Thanks, mate. Josh Jean's firm at Dapple on this Sunday afternoon. Of course, gamble responsibly if you're going to have a pun. And, of course, it's not footy without the AFL record. You can get your round 13 edition this weekend when you're heading to the footy. The big freeze is back. We've got profiles of all 10 sliders, interviews with those who have taken the plunge in the past, and, of course, the tribute to the great man himself, Neil Danaher, one of the great Australian stories that we've seen in Australian sport and stories across Australia in general and what he has done over a number of years now. Of course, a special front cover celebrating the 150th anniversary of Essendon, despite the fact that they fell on Friday night. A proud and colourful history of one of the league's foundation clubs is reviewed. A special report on why strong defence remains the backbone of a premiership success, of course, with Stephen May out of the Melbourne lineup. And speaking of Melbourne, it's a big day for them tomorrow. Are the D's acceptable? We can read all about it in the AFL record. It's not footy without the AFL record. You can get yours this weekend when you're heading to the footy. Josh Jenkins is with myself, Julian Marcus. Not far away from wrapping this one up. And, uh, of course, heading over to Marvel Stadium, North Melbourne and GWS. Uh, what would be a pass mark for North Melbourne for you this afternoon, Josh? Uh, well, a pass mark would be to win. Um, I, I just don't see why they can't be incredibly competitive and, and be right in this game. The, the Giants, uh, they don't, they're just not uh, – they're not an outstanding side. They, they, they removed their – or their coach stood down three weeks ago. So we're not talking about North Melbourne versus a, a premiership contender. We're talking about a team who, who have only recently had a change of coach. So I, I, I'd, I'd expect the Kangaroos to play with spirit and heart and tenacity and – and grunt and give themselves an opportunity to, to win the game. So no point putting a margin on it. I think they should – well, I think the line was 28.5. If they don't get inside that, they should be incredibly disappointed with themselves. And um, Look, it, it actually wouldn't surprise me to see them thereabouts, you know, 15 minutes into the last quarter be thereabouts. And hopefully they are because they their fans are starving for something to crow about. 
And just quickly, what are you looking forward to most about tomorrow at the G? Oh, just the event, just the occasion. I've never been to a Queen's Birthday Monday game. I've typically been over in Adelaide watching from afar. So looking forward to working with uh, the great Jared Waitley and Dwayne Russell. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to being there for one of these big games. And we haven't seen them in a couple of years in Melbourne. So just looking forward to getting there for the event. Josh, it's been a lot of fun doing this with you on this Sunday morning. Have a good weekend, my friend. Likewise, we'll uh, chat again soon. It's a big day tomorrow at the MCG. The big freeze, Collingwood and Melbourne. Of course, uh, get along to it and uh, fight in, in D beanies absolutely everywhere across Melbourne town. Get one if you can. For those of you heading to the football, enjoy the matchup coming up next between North Melbourne and GWS for Marvel Stadium. That's all we've got on Sunday Crunch Time today. Enjoy the rest of your long weekend. Bye for now. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.